If you would, open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. This morning we're going to consider the second part uh, of three parts to what is uh, known as the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus Christ. Last week um, we uh, digested part one, uh, verses one through five, as Jesus prays for himself and for his return to glory. This morning we're going to consider Jesus' prayer for his disciples. And then uh, next week we will unfold Jesus' prayer for those who would come to faith through the faithful witness of his people. As is our normal practice, um, we take a book of the Bible and just go through it so that we allow the, uh, the Bible to dictate our messages rather than... Uh, being inventive or creative, because I am neither of those things. So um, I just like the Word of God to say what the Word of God says. And so uh, this morning, we'll begin our study after we seek first the Lord in prayer. Then we will read the passage um, in its entirety that we are going to consider. And then we'll divide the text, um, making some applications as we go. So first, would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for graciously giving us your word. We come this morning in Jesus Christ, asking for God, the Holy Spirit, to enlighten our minds that we would understand, inflame our hearts to embrace your loving kindness for us, enlist our will that we might obey what you reveal to us this morning. This morning we pray for the church that gathers in Yamhill at Yamhill Christian. We pray for Pastor David. We ask, Lord, that you would embolden him to preach the gospel with clarity and conviction this morning. And Father God, we ask this morning for healing in the Crawford and, and Rainwater families and with our brother Joe this morning. We pray for all those who belong to the family of God and they are hindered from fellowship this morning, either by illness or by occupation or even by disobedience. Lord, we pray for them that your will will be done in all of them. And we pray that your will be done in us this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So as you are able, would you uh, stand with me for the reading of God's word? Chapter 17, we're going to begin in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, 
And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God for us this morning. You may be seated. So the church of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to define that for us this morning uh, a little bit, just for the sake of our text, I'm going to define it. The church of Jesus Christ this morning, the, the people of God, the people called out of the world by God's grace, those who have been given the word of God, the ones that received it and believed God's word concerning his son. The church of Jesus Christ today exists in a world of trouble. The church is troubled, troubled by a marginalization of her importance. The church is troubled by a hatred for the truths that she proclaims. The church is troubled by evil human governments. The church is troubled by injustices that are brought against the most vulnerable in our society. The church is troubled by the residual sins of her own human fleshy desires. The church is troubled as a corporate entity by her own sin, her own error, and her own apostasy. But what I want us to see this morning is that in this world of trouble, the church is of infinite value to her priest and king, the Lord Jesus Christ. The church, though it exists in this world of trouble, the church is full of joy because her priest and king, the Lord Jesus Christ, intercedes for her, petitioning the Father to keep, protect, and guard, and set them apart from the world in holiness according to the Scriptures. In our text this morning, we're going to see that the Father gave a people to His Son, Jesus Christ, according to His sovereign grace. The Father in heaven gave His Son, not only he did he give a people to his son, but he gave to his son, Jesus Christ, his words. And the father gave his son his name, the name by which a person must be saved. The only name by which a person must be saved, the father gave to the son. And Jesus, in responsibility for all that the father gave him, gave them to us and to his people who would believe. Let us think about this first section of this passage, 6 through the first part of 11. We're going to look at the grounds of Jesus' prayer. What I mean is what Jesus grounds his prayer in and who. It's kind of the, the, the who and the how and the why of what comes in his prayer. So let's take a closer look at verse 6. 
I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So out of the created universe, God has chosen a people by sovereign grace, and he's given them to his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus has made the Father known to them, both in word and in deed. He has manifested himself, he has manifested God to them, that they know him, they know the Father in a saving way. They know, to know God is to, is to have eternal life. So he has given them eternal life, as he said in our passage uh, last week. Jesus has made the Father known to them both in word and in deed. And Jesus says, I have made it known to those you gave me that you indeed are the one true God. These that you have given me have obeyed the divine expression given to me in your holy word. Verse 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. So Jesus here is saying, I have given them the words that you commanded me and they have received them. They now know that everything you have given me came from you and they know of a surety. This is what he's saying. They know of a surety that I have come from you that they believe. See, here's the thing. We can know about Jesus. You can sit here and know about Jesus and know the story. You can know the gospel. You can know what the word of God says. But, but Jesus is making a distinction about those that the Father gave him. Those that belong to Christ, those that the Father gave him, they know with a surety. That's with everything they have within them, they know that Jesus Christ was sent from the Father to them. They know with a surety that I came from you. And it's that that they believe. These are yours. They believe that I came from you. So it begs the question, or at least it did for me, who then is the elect of God? Who is it that Jesus is really speaking of. Specifically in this passage, he's speaking of those disciples who responded to his word in that time. And I'm, I'm thinking about us as we think about, about who are those that belong to Jesus. Who are the ones that are the elect chosen of God? And what can be said about those? What can be said about those whom the Father has given to Jesus by his sovereign will and his grace? Well, I'm going to give us something to think about, and it's from this passage. The people who are the elect of God have, number one, had God's word proclaimed to them. They have received God's word as it is. It is the very word of God. So the word of God has been proclaimed to them. They have received it as it is. It is the very word of God. And they have come to know God. And they have come to know his truth of a surety. And they have believed that Jesus Christ was sent from heaven to rescue them. And that the word of God has transformed them in such a way that this word, this truth is now a part of them. 
It's, it's not merely having ascended mentally to this truth that, that Jesus proclaimed, ascended mentally to the, the truth of, of God's word. They, they don't just know it, they know it. Do you get what I'm saying? It is, it is that Hebrews 4.12, right? That for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, those who are the elect of God are those who have had their soul and spirit pierced by the word of God. I always say when I think about my salvation story that it was the moment that God wrecked me. That I was ruined by the word of God. It cut me deeply. It pierced my soul and pierced my spirit and transformed me and there was nothing I could do about it. I couldn't fight it. God did it. It was the word of God received. It was God's will and God's work that pierced my very soul and spirit that let me know with a surety in my heart that Jesus Christ was sent from God. I remember looking at the truth of God's word, especially in, in John chapter 3 at that time when I first came to faith and I'm reading this, that men loved darkness rather than light. And I heard that word and it pierced my spirit and pierced my soul. And I went, yes, that passage is about me. I love darkness rather than light. I love me rather than him or anyone else. But the word of God pierced my heart and my spirit. And I said with a surety in my heart, Jesus is real. And I ran as fast as I could to my grandmother's room. And I said, do you know Jesus? He is real. I went to my little brother and he thought I was crazy. I said, I'm not just telling you a story about what's in the word. This is the truth, man. Jesus is for sure a real deal. But it was the word of God that penetrated my heart and changed me and transformed me and pierced my spirit and my soul. And it wrecked me. Praise God. Praise God for that. Didn't mean to get off on that tangent a bit, but there we go. So I'm asking us this this morning. If, if this is you, if, if you have been called out of the world, guess what? We, you, no longer live according to the world's arrangement of God's creation. Uh, the world has rearranged and is arranging God's creation to fit what it is that they want, but you no longer belong to that. You've been called out of the world by Jesus Christ, by the power of God's word. The word of God has pierced your soul and your spirit and has transformed you from the world's arrangement of, of God's creation to now the spiritual, eternal uh, sense of what God's creation and God's world is about. Your view of the world has been changed because God has rescued you. You are people who live in the world, but, but live in that world with a divine perspective. God has given you a divine perspective. Your citizenship is in heaven. But of course, even though you occupy yourself in this world, that is who the elect of God have become. That is who God has chosen them to be. Let's look at verse 9 and 10. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So, here Jesus is specific about who he's praying for, isn't he? Jesus prays 
And I'm, he is praying specifically here in this passage, in its context, for those disciples that have come to him in the world. But, but, I, but I'm, I, I entitled this passage this morning, Jesus prays for his church. Because that is who his church is, right? Those he has called out. So Jesus prays for his church for three reasons we see in this passage. Jesus prays for the church because they have belonged to God for eternity. Number one, he prays for the church because they have belonged to God for eternity. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. That's what Jesus says. I pray for them. His second reason is that the Father and the Son have a shared interest in his people. Mine they were. What's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. We have a shared interest in those that I'm praying for, Father. The Father and Son are equally vested in God's people. Those who belong to Christ are wrapped up in that relationship that the Son has with the Father. Man, that should fill your heart with joy to know that the relationship that the Father and the Son have by God's sovereign grace and His goodness proclaim the Word of God to you and you in believing that truth have been wrapped up into that relationship. That you are integrally important to God. That He values you in that relationship the same as He values His Son. You are part of them together. What great value this is. This means that however small your concerns are and my concerns are, that they are also the Father's concerns. However small our concerns are, they're the Father's concerns and they're the Son's concerns because we are His. We are theirs. And no matter how limited our understanding of God's concerns are, they become the concerns of His people. We might not quite understand all of God's concerns, but God's concerns have become our concerns because we are wrapped up in that relationship between the Father and the Son. And finally, the reason Jesus prays for His church is because He says He is glorified in them. And I am glorified in them. Jesus is glorified in His church, in His people. A further sign that you are an elect person of God is this. And this one is tough, I think. But I hope that it's true of all of you. Do you value what the Father and the Son value? If you value what the Father and the Son value, that's a further sign that you are the elect of God. God, the Father, and God, the Son, value and take interest in all that they have called. Do you and I take an interest in all whom God has called? We too should pray like Jesus for our brothers and our sisters. We should pray for our brothers and our sisters, e even those whose personality rubs us the wrong way. Because why? God values them. God values them enough that he incorporated them into himself. He incorporated them into himself and he values them. I think of so many times when I'm guilty of this sin of running my mouth or grumbling in my heart 
about a person. And I was really convicted on this as I prayed this week. Oh, God. Help me to see that they have value in you. Help me to see them with the value that you see them. Help me. I think we could all use that help, couldn't we? We should pray for that brother or sister who rubs us the wrong way or whose personality just grates on us because God values them. And when we think about it, Christ intercedes for them. He prays for them. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Shouldn't we be those who live to make intercession for that person who wronged us? Or the person who, instead of maybe condemning them for a sin that they're caught in, intercede in heaven for them. Intercede to the one that can pull them out of it. Pray for them as Jesus prays for us. The elect of God value what God and His Christ value. And one of the ways that we show that we value what God values is through intercessory prayer as Jesus here intercedes for those whom He's called. And Jesus says in this passage, I am praying for those who belong to you, Father. I'm praying for those, the ones that you gave me. Not everyone who heard the words that Jesus spoke, not everyone who witnessed the miracles that Jesus performed, not everyone, but I'm praying for these disciples, you know, the ones that you gave me, Father, the ones who heard, received, and obeyed the words that you gave me. I'm praying for those who have received the word of God, believed that you sent me, that I came from you. I'm praying for those who, by your grace, Father, have been incorporated not only into the Son, not only are they part of the vine, but they are part of the vine dresser as well. They are incorporated into the Son and they are joined by faith to both the Father and the Son. And then he says, I am glorified in them. The glory they give to me, they also give to you, Father. So, as a point of question, I hope that this makes you pause. It did me big time. How is it that Jesus is glorified in the disciples? I am glorified in them. When you think about the disciples, us, disciples of Jesus Christ, when you think about his church and our warts and our boo-boos and our mistakes and our sin and our errors and our bitiness and all of those things, when you think about those things, Jesus says, I am glorified in the disciples. Well, first, Jesus is glorified in the disciples by the fact that it is in Christ alone that any of them are saved, right? In Christ alone are, is anyone saved. And so naturally, all the glory belongs to the Savior and not to the saved, right? When the Lord transforms the liar, when the Lord changes the thief, when he convicts the philanderer, when he captures the heart of the God-rejecting, self-absorbed man, that's me, or woman, and he moves their will to obedience, and he inflames their heart to love for God and love for others above themselves, it is Christ 
who receives the glory. Secondly, Jesus is glorified when his disciples entrust their lives to him. When the disciples say, I don't understand why, but I will live as he wants me to, no matter the cost. Third, Christ is glorified in the disciples to the degree in which their lives are marked by holiness. As the disciple of Jesus Christ matures and is further and further separated from the world and more and more conformed into the image of Christ, Jesus is glorified. And finally, Christ is glorified when his disciples proclaim him before a watching world. When disciples further his kingdom cause in word and in deed, and when they proclaim that in word and in deed that Jesus Christ is the one sent from heaven, then God receives all the glory and his Christ. Now, let's look at the first part of verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. I am praying for these who are ours because I am leaving them in the world filled with trouble. I am coming to you, Jesus says. And think about what he's saying. They are here. I am coming to you. I will experience the fullness of joy in your presence forevermore. I am leaving this world of trouble and persecution, and I am returning to the glory that I had at first. But these, our people, will remain here. This is what he's saying here. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and none of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus prays for a people given to him by the Father, asking that they be kept in the name that was given to him, the only name by which anyone can be saved. Jesus says, Holy Father, you have given me a people, you have given me your words to proclaim and a name by which your people are saved and I am coming to you and I'm asking that you keep them in the name that saved them, in the name that you gave me. While I was with them, you see, they were kept and guarded in the name that you gave me. When persecutors came for them, I said, it is me that you want, but now I'm leaving. When the leaders desired to discredit them, I took the brunt, I took the blame. The hate that had been directed at me will now come in full measure to these who are left in the world. When the price for their rebellion comes due, Father, it is I who will take the punishment. Keep them and guard them as I have kept and guarded them in the name that you gave me. None of these you have given me is lost. None of them you have given me is lost. I have kept them. The lost one was not one, and he is truly lost according to your divine will and according to your scriptures. It's not as if Jesus said, in order to fulfill the scriptures, this one's lost. No, though, he was lost. 
He was lost. Verse 13. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus asked that his disciples rejoice that the God who called them out of the world is the God that will keep them. It is a great joy to the disciple of Jesus Christ to live in the confidence that salvation belonged to the Lord from the start. Before I received it, salvation belonged to the Lord. And he, by his word, gave it to me, and it is his to give, and it is his to keep. Think about that, brothers and sisters, that the God who saved you is the one who keeps you. We can be confident that this soul-piercing word of God, this spirit-piercing word of God that has transformed you, that has changed you, you can't lose that or get rid of it, that the Father is keeping that for you for eternity. He's taking you all the way. It's just like our brother John MacArthur has often said, if I could lose my salvation, I most certainly would. But rejoice with me this, this morning, brothers and sisters, that the God who saved you is the one that will keep you all the way to the end. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The disciples of Jesus Christ have received, believed, and obeyed the divine expression given to them in God's holy word. The divine expression has pierced their soul and spirit, transforming them from the ornamental things of the world and separated them to the truth. Because they have the soul-piercing word of God as their compass and guide, the world hates them. Because the world, the view of the world has changed. The truth of God lives within you. The Word of God comes out of you, and the world hates you for it. Because you do not operate according to the agenda of the world, since they do not value what the world values, since you value what the Father and the Son value, the world hates you. Since you value what God and His Christ value, Jesus says, they are hated, but they aren't of them. I don't ask that you take them out of the world. I have left these here, armed with the revelation of who you are, armed with the Word of God. These, through these people, these kingdom incorporated ambassadors for your kingdom, they are advancing your kingdom. I've left them here to advance your kingdom. I just ask that you keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the deception of the enemy, the one that would draw them away. Keep them from the deception of the world and being drawn into its system. Guard them when their enemy appeals to their flesh. Keep them from faltering when the enemy whispers in their ear, there is an easier way. Doesn't the enemy whisper that in our ear all the time? When obedience becomes difficult, when following the word of God becomes difficult for us in our flesh, the enemy says, there's an easier way. It's easier. The path of least resistance, right? It's much easier. The enemy whispers that and Jesus says, guard them, protect them from the evil one. So Jesus here prays for their protection. Let's look at 17 through 19. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. See, Jesus thus far has prayed for those who have been separated to God through the word uh, given to them by faith in himself. He has prayed that the Father would guard and protect them. And as they remain here in the world, Jesus asked that the Father would keep them in the name by which they've been saved, keep them and guard them to the end of the age. He prays that the Father would keep them from the evil one's plots and schemes. And now Jesus' prayer turns to separating God's people from the world, its schemes, and its systems. He basically here is praying for their holiness. Sanctify them in the truth, he says. Separate them from the world in their profession of faith. And not just in their profession of faith, but separate them in their profession of faith and their doctrine. It's one thing to profess Jesus Christ, but to profess him rightly. Sanctify them. Separate them by your word. Give them a growing knowledge of the truth while at the same time having that truth accord with godliness. See, you can have the truth. And that's why one of my favorite uh, passages is Titus in chapter 1. That Paul is talking about himself being a servant of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, that which accords with godliness. So what Jesus is saying here is sanctify them in the truth, separate them to the truth, a truth that accords with godliness, not just knowledge, but also in deed. As you sent me into the world to proclaim the gospel, I am sending them, and I am sending them as ambassadors of truth, armed with the word of God, that they should reconcile those that you are calling into the kingdom. I sanctify, consecrate, separate myself for them, and I ask that you separate them for the mission that I'm sending them on. Christian, you are made holy, having been chosen out of the world and into the kingdom of God. God calls you holy. But Jesus prays for more than just a positional holiness, right? Jesus prays for the separated from the world to actually live like it, to actually live separate. How many things of the world entwine us? We get wrapped in them. Sandy and I were talking this morning about Facebook and I have removed it from my phone, and I'm telling you what a blessing that has been to get rid of it. I was entwined in it. I was part of it. Even though there are good Christian things that are on there, right? But I found myself wrapped in the things of the world. There are many things that bind us, that and we, we, we have taken on that are worldly. And Jesus prays that we would just be more and more and more separated, right? Church, what I think we need in this hour of trouble is for God to separate his church from worldly theology. The worldly theology says this, that man is basically good and that no one is really lost. And so therefore, belief in Jesus is not necessary. In the world's theology, sin is not really rebellion against God, but it's ignorance of how justice is supposed to be served by our social structures. To overcome this error in the world's theology, 
they would say it's not faith in Jesus, but rebellion to social structures, that, that social constructs that are oppressive. That's what we need to do is rebel against the social st structures that are oppressive to us.